Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim by Robert C. O'Brien. Chapter 16, The Maze. During the days that followed, our lives fell into a pattern, and the reason for our captivity gradually became clear. Dr. Schultz was a neurologist, that is, an expert on brains, nerves, intelligence, and how people learn things. He hoped, by experimenting on us, to find out whether certain injections could help us learn more and faster. The two younger people working with him, George and Julie, were graduate workers in biology. Watch always, he told them, for signs of improvement, faster learning, quicker reaction in group A as compared to group B, and both as compared to the control group. My own training began on the day after the first injections. It was George who did it. I suppose Julie and Dr. Schultz were doing the same test on other rats. He took my cage from the shelf and carried it to another room, similar to the first one, but with more equipment in it, and no shelves of, ca of cages. He placed the cage in a slot against a wall, slid open the end, opened a matching door in the wall, and I was free. Or so I thought. The small doorway in the wall led into a short corridor, which opened, or it seemed to, directly onto a green lawn. I could see it clearly, and behind it some bushes, and behind them a street, all outdoors, and nothing but air between me and them. Furthermore, I could smell the fresh outdoor breeze blowing in. Were they letting me go? I made a dash towards the open end of the corridor, and then jumped back. I could not go on. About two feet from my cage, still open behind me, there was something dreadfully wrong with the floor. When I touched it, a terrible prickling feeling came over my skin. My muscles cramped, my eyes blurred, and I got instantly dizzy. I never got used to that feeling. No one ever does. But I did experience it many times, and eventually learned what it was. Electric shock. It is not exactly a pain, but it is unbearable. Yet I was in a, fren a frenzy to reach that open lawn, to run for the bushes, to get away from the cage. I tried again, and jumped back again. No use. Then I saw, leading off to the left, another corridor. I had not noticed it at first, because I had been looking so eagerly at the open end of the one I was in. The second one seemed to stop about five feet away in a blank wall. Yet there was light there. It must turn a corner. I ran down it cautiously, not trusting the floor. At the end, it turned right, and there was the lawn again, another opening. I got closer that time. Then, just as I thought I was going to make it, another shock. I pulled back and saw that there was still another corridor leading off to the right. Again, I ran. Again, I saw the, same, the open escape hole, and again, I was stopped by shock. This was repeated over and over, yet each time I seemed to get a little closer to freedom. But when I finally reached it, and the grass was only a step away, a wire wall snapped down in front of me, another behind me, the ceiling opened above me, and a gloved hand reached in and picked me up. A voice said, Four minutes, 37 seconds. It was George. I had, after all my running through the corridors, emerged into a trap only a few feet from where I'd started, and though a concealed opening above me and through a concealed opening above me, George had been watching everything I did. I had been in what is called a maze, a device to test intelligence and memory. I was put in it many times again, and so were the others. The second time, I got through it a little faster because I remembered to some extent which corridors had electric floors and which did not. The third time, I was still faster, and after each time, 
and after each trial, George, or sometimes Julie, sometimes Dr. Schultz, would write down how long it took. You might ask, why would I bother to run through it at all if I knew it was only a trick? The answer is, I couldn't help it. When you've lived in a cage, you can't bear not to run, even if you're running, even if you what you're running towards is an illusion. There were more injections and other kinds of tests, and some of these were more important than the maze, because the maze was designed only to find out how quickly we could learn, while some of the others actually taught us things, or at least led up to the actual teaching. One was what Dr. Schultz called shape recognition. We would be put into a small room with three doors leading out, one round, one square, and one triangular. These doors were on hinges with springs that held them shut, but they were easy to push open, and each door led into another room with three more doors like the first one. But the trick was this. If you went through the wrong door, the room you entered had an electric floor and you got a shock. So you had to learn. In the first room, use the round door, second room, triangle, and so on. All of these activities helped pass the time, and the weeks went by quickly. But they did not lessen our longing to get away. I wished for my old home in the storm sewer. I wished I could see my mother and father and run with my brother to the marketplace. I knew all the others felt the same way. Yet, it was a hopeless thing. Still, there was one rat who decided to try it anyway. He was a young rat, probably the youngest of all that had been caught. And by chance, he was in the cage next to mine. I might mention that, like Jenner and me, he was in the group Dr. Schultz called A. His name was Justin. It was late one night that I heard him calling to me, speaking softly around the wooden partition between our cages. Those partitions generally kept all of us from getting to know each other as well as we might have done, and discouraged us from talking much to one another. It was quite hard to hear around them, and of course you could never see the one you were talking to. I think Dr. Schultz had purposely had them made of some soundproof material. But you could hear if you and your neighbor got in the corners of the cages nearest each other and spoke out through the wire front. Nicodemus? Yes. I went over to the corner. How long have we been here? You mean since the beginning? Since we were caught? Yes. I don't know. Several months, I think. But I have no way to keep track. I know. I don't either. Do you suppose it's winter outside now? Probably, or late autumn. It will be cold, but not in here. No, but I'm going to try to get out. Get out? But how? Your cage is shut. Tomorrow we get injections, so they'll open it. When they do, I'm going to run. Run where? I don't know. At least I'll get a look around. There might be some way out. What can I lose? You might get hurt. I don't think so. Anyway, they won't hurt me. By they, he meant Dr. Schultz and the other two. He added confidently, all those injections, all the time they've spent, were too valuable to them now. They'll be careful. That idea had not occurred to me before, but when I thought about it, I decided he was right. Dr. Schultz, Julie, and George had spent most of their working hours with us for months. They could not afford to let any harm come to us. On the other hand, neither could they afford to allow any of us to escape. Justin made his attempt the next morning and it did cause a certain amount of excitement, but not at all what we had expected. It was Julie who opened Justin's cage with the hypodermic in her hand. Justin was out with a mighty leap, hit the floor about four feet down with a thump, shook himself, and ran, disappe- disappearing from my view, heading towards the other end of the room. Julie seemed not at all alarmed. She calmly placed the needle on a shelf, 
then walked to the door of the laboratory and pushed a button on the wall near it. A red light came on over the door. She picked up a notebook and a pencil from a desk near the door and followed Justin out of my sight. A few minutes later, Dr. Schultz and George entered. They opened the door cautiously and closed it behind them. The outer door is shut too, said Dr. Schultz. Where is it? Down here, said Julie, inspecting the air ducts. Really? Which one is it? It's one from the A group, just as you expected. Number nine. I'm keeping notes on it. Obviously, the red light was some kind of warning signal, both outside the door and in laboratory animal at large. And not only had Dr. Schultz known one of us was out, but he had expected it to happen. A few days sooner than I thought, he was saying, but so much the better. better. Do you realize? Look, said Julie, he's doing the whole baseboard, but he's studying the windows too. See how he steps back to look up? Of course, said Dr. Schultz, and at the same time he's watching us too. Can't you see? He's pretty cool about it, said George. Can you imagine one of the lab rats doing that, or even one of the controls? We've got to try to grasp what we've got on our hands. The A group is now 300% ahead of the control group in learning and getting smarter all the time. B group is only 20% ahead. It's the new DNA that's doing it. We have a real breakthrough, and since it is DNA, we may very well have a true mutation, a brand new species of rat, but we've got to be careful with it. I think we should go ahead now with the next injection series. The steroids? Whatever that meant. Yes, it may slow them up a bit, though I doubt it. But even if it does, it will be worth it, because I'm betting it will increase their lifespan by double at least. Maybe more. Maybe much more. Look, said Julie, A9 has made a discovery. He's found the mice. George said, see how he's studying them? Probably, said Dr. Schultz wryly. He's wondering if they're ready for their steroid injections too. As a matter of fact, I think the G group is. They're doing almost as well as A group. Should I get the net and put him back? George asked. I doubt that you'll need it, Dr. Schultz said, now that he's learned he can't get out. But they were underestimating Justin. He had learned no such thing.